The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. It told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I wash, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age, question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, If he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, 
You were born totally in sin and are trying to teach us. Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and that those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind also, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying we see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. In the scriptures today, we see that God loves to speak to us about spiritual things by using physical signs. We see how David is anointed by Samuel with a whole horn full of oil. How he was the chosen one and others of the, of the Psalms describe how it would take place. How the oil will run down his head and down his beard and down his clothes and it would basically cover him. All over, It was a very messy ceremony. It wasn't just a nice, simple coronation. Um, but it was a, a pouring of oil all over him to say that, his, that he was a consecrated person, that, that the Lord would give him strength, oil being a sign of strength, uh, to be able to lead and to shepherd the people of God. Additionally, we see the very physical and very, uh, very kind of earthy, if not a little bit weird, healing of the blind man in the gospel of how the Lord Jesus spits upon the ground and makes clay, thus he breaks the Sabbath. And then he takes that clay and smears it on the man's eyes, and then has him go and to walk to the pool of Siloam, and there to wash. Of course, a whole variety of great symbols there of the physical means by which God heals us. And the simple reality is that God works in these physical ways to speak of spiritual, invisible realities, not because he needs it, but because we do. Ultimately, as our first reading said, man sees the appearance of things, but it's the Lord who looks into the heart. So it's the human person who we see the outsides. We need the physical things. We need the light of Christ to help us to see things. And that has not changed. Just the same as the Lord God worked a thousand years prior to the life of Christ to anoint David, the same as he worked in the time of Christ to heal the blind man, so he still works today through physical signs to speak to us of spiritual realities. The church knows this and recognizes this and rejoices in it. We revel in it. And we show so many physical signs around us that for those who are not used to it, it can be a bit overwhelming. As they come into our church and they see physical things all over the place. They know that, well, today we celebrate Leitare Sunday, Rejoicing Sunday, and so we wear the, the special rose vestments. The rose vestments are a physical sign of the spiritual reality that we're halfway to Easter. That we wear them only twice a year, the midway point, the third Sunday of Advent, and the fourth Sunday of Lent. 
as a way physically to encourage us to keep going. That we're almost there to the next season, which will bring us our joy. So it's a physical sign, and all the vestment colors have a particular reason for their coloring as well. But not just the vestments, but also the signs. The prayers and the physical signs offered here on the altar, but the signs that you make as well. The standing, the kneeling, the sitting, the signs of the cross, and so forth. Each of them have some spiritual reality that they convey. Even the structures of our church, the ways in which they are built, the steps that are built within them, the statues, the windows, the paintings, the stations. So many things that are physical signs that lift our minds to greater realities that are before us. But above all of these physical signs, there is one set of signs that is the greatest of all. And they are signs that are the greatest not because of anything other than just their physical reality, but because they are places where we actually meet Jesus Christ personally. And those physical signs are the seven sacraments. The sacraments are a privileged place that we have to encounter Jesus Christ. Because the things of God did not cease 2,000 years ago. The healings of God, the life of God and the love of God in the physical manifestations isn't something that just takes place and then kept off in the early church. Rather, he still encounters us every time we come to the celebration of the sacraments. We know that the sacraments are seven in number. The church provides that knowledge for us. The sacraments are traditionally divided into three sections, if you will. The first is the sacraments of initiation. The first of them is baptism. When we receive that seed of faith, the seed of the life of Christ, and ultimately the promise of our inheritance in heaven, we get the first start. And as the first start, it's the one that's most loaded with physical signs. There's the signing with the cross on the forehead of the child, and then the signing of the breast with oil, the signing on the crown of the head with more oil, the washing with water, the vesting with new clothes, the gift of a candle, so many things. Physical signs bestowing wonderful, invisible realities. That sacrament of baptism is sealed in the sacrament of confirmation, where the seed that was planted at baptism comes to its full fruition to be able to bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. That shows one has grown up in the faith, essentially. And the last of the sacraments of initiation, the one that is the, uh, the cap on it all, is the gift of Holy Eucharist of how we participate and are initiated into the body of Christ, not just in a spiritual manner, but in a physical way, by being able to unite ourselves to the body of Christ in the Eucharist, to receive His flesh into ours. The second set of sacraments in the life of the church are those of healing. Again, the sacraments of healing the, the, the healings of power of God are not just things that, that ceased 2,000 years ago. But the healing ministry of Jesus Christ continues down to today through the life of the church, particularly in the sacraments. If you talk to any priest who's been a priest more than a few months, I can guarantee you he can give you at least one, if not more than one, scenario in which you went to pray with someone who was in dire, in dire need, that their health was failing, 
very likely on the point of death. And he prayed with them with the anointing of the sick, and he anointed them with the holy oil, and by no means that medically we can explain they're healed. These things happen. They're the regular course of the life of the church. Prior to the Second Vatican Council, the anointing of the sick was typically referred to as extreme unction. And it was reserved to those who were literally knocking on death's door. And so it was seen often as one of the last sacraments that you received. Now, it's interesting because we still kind of experience that little bit of theology kind of carrying over. Because again, most priests also have been in the case where they've gone into a room in a hospital to visit with someone. And the, the person politely lets us know that they don't want us there. Because we come to give the anointing of the sick, and they think the anointing of the sick is the one that says, you're about to die, so I'm going to pray over you real quick. And they're not having that. <laughs> they're saying, you can, you can go, I don't want what you got, man. <laughs> Thankfully, we clarified the, the theology a little bit in the past 50 years or so to help us to recognize that the anointing of the sick actually envisions healing and not just death. Uh, and so it is a physical as well as a spiritual healing that is foreseen in the sacrament of the anointing. Also in the, the, um, the sacrament of healing is that of penance. Because we know that we need healing in our body, but even more so we need it in our soul. From those wounds that are inflicted upon our heart by sin, the Lord God comes to us in the sacrament of reconciliation and confession. And he bestows his healing grace. To transform our hearts and to heal those wounds. Again, these are physical signs that we need. That we need someone to pray with us, to lay hands upon us, to be able to anoint us with these holy oils. It's not for God's sake that he needs them, but it's for ours. To understand the gift of faith that's taking place before us. And to understand that whenever the priest says, I absolve you from your sins, that your sins are forgiven. How often do we need to hear that? Not just to simply kneel at our bedside and, and to trust that God hears our prayers and forgives us but rather to know it because we've heard it with our own ears and we've seen the blessing and experienced it in the flesh. The sacraments of service are the last two, marriage and holy orders. They're two physical signs that speak of invisible and spiritual realities of how each person in both of those sacraments at some point, whether in words or in flesh, says, this is my body given up for you. Be able to give of oneself physically is a sign that you give yourself spiritually, mentally, emotionally. That you give all of yourself to the other. And so these sacraments too bestow a wonderful gift of God's blessing upon us. And that's the ultimate reality. Is that the sacraments are not just rituals for us to become routinely kind of intrigued with. We know the right prayers, we know the words, we know the actions. Because if we simply go with the, the externals of things and neglect the spiritual reality, we miss the most important piece. If we rejoice in the outside but neglect the inside, we, as Jesus describes the Pharisees, are whitewashed tombs. We look really nice on the outside, but the inside is lifeless. And so we must experience the life of Christ that comes forth to us in the sacraments. Because that's what it is. The sacraments give us grace. They give us life. They give us the power of God within us. 
not because it's some little magic trick that works, but it's because we encounter Jesus. It's because in every sacrament, Jesus is present to us. In some mysterious way, Christ is there. And because we meet him, because we encounter him, we can be changed. Some 500 or so years ago in the life of the church, a question was raised about whether the effectiveness of the sacraments was dependent upon the holiness of the one who performed the sacrament. In other words, if your priest was holier, the Eucharist was more Jesus. If your priest was less holy, your child was less baptized. (laughs) If If your priest was more holy, you were more married. If your priest was less holy, your sins were less forgiven. And they had this question of, is that the reality? Is that, is that what takes place? Does the holiness of the priest determine the power of the sacrament? And the church clearly and quickly responded, no. Because it's not the holiness of the priest that makes things worth what they're doing. It's Jesus Christ who comes. It's Jesus who meets us in the sacrament. Not just the priest. It's Christ. And as such... We can receive great power if we're willing. And today the scriptures invite us to a bit of an odd trip. An odd journey where the blind lead us who have sight. Where the blind man comes and he shows us what it is to encounter Jesus. And he teaches us just as he taught the Pharisees. He teaches us that whenever we encounter Jesus... We must have faith. Have faith that God can actually do things. That the sorrows of our heart, the troubles of our day, the things of our need, the healings that we need, whether physically or spiritually, to have faith that God can actually do them. That Christ has the power. Secondly, he teaches us that we must be willing to act. By the simple fact that he lets Jesus smear the clay on his eyes and then he permits himself to to even be sent off to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. He knew that Jesus had the power to heal him right on the spot and yet he was willing to work with the Lord a little bit. He knew that it would cost him something. Certainly trying to get across the city as a blind man would not be an easy task. Hopefully he had somebody to guide him along or maybe he just knew the way by memory by that point. But the simple fact is that he had to respond himself and to be willing to move. And lastly, he had to be willing to change. He had to be willing to experience some difficulty because of following Jesus. As the Pharisees are interviewing him and and kind of questioning him and challenging him, really, they already have set the standard as we hear with with a little portion regarding his parents that if anybody regards Jesus as more than just a bad guy who breaks the rules, you're no longer welcome in the synagogue. You're not welcome in the church, essentially. If you recognize Jesus, you can go because you're not welcome here. And yet he recognizes Jesus truly as a prophet. And not just as a prophet, he recognizes him as God. He worships him. He worships him. And in the midst of the questioning, they ask him a second time, how did he heal you? What did he do to open your eyes? He said, you already asked once and you didn't listen. Are you asking now again? Do you want to become disciples too? Too is a key word. 
Because he, in those few brief moments, has become a follower of Jesus Christ. He's changed. Something has happened within him that that encounter made a special moment where everything else in his life was different. And it wasn't just because he could see. The physical sign was only a sign of the even deeper spiritual reality. That he was able to see the things of faith. He was able to see Christ our God. Not just with his eyes, but even more importantly with his heart. And it's the same invitation for us. Are we willing to have that bold faith that believes that Jesus has power to do things? Are we willing to act? To move a little bit whenever the Lord invites us to that aspect of faith? To be willing to go the extra step, the extra mile, just as the blind man did today? And ultimately, are we willing to be changed? To let something that's important in our life, even if necessary for love of Jesus, fall away? To no longer be welcomed at the synagogue of our life, whatever that might be, because we found something greater. We found Christ. We found eternity. So it's an invitation today for us to be led by the blind and to rejoice in the gift of faith that he possesses. To know that Christ our God comes to us in this sacrament, in this moment. He comes to us with great power. And if we're willing, he can change us. If we're willing, he can touch us.